Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. A friend lent me his copy of Dr. William Bennett's new book, America, The Last Best Hope. This book recounts the history of America from the discovery voyages of Christopher Columbus and his discovery of the New World. While I'm not an American, I'm one who believes we all owe a huge debt to the U.S., and further, I will venture to reveal to you that I personally believe that God, in his sovereignty and wisdom, raised up America to play a vital role in the developing world, even the world in which we live. She may have lost her way from time to time, and certainly she has made her share of mistakes, but the principles upon which she was founded and the faith of the original founding fathers, whatever shade of religiosity they may have pursued, have been vital to the development of freedom and democracy here and around the world for several hundred years. I am about halfway through the book now, not quite to the point where the civil war occurs. Uh, my impression thus far, while reinforcing the belief and values I shared with you a few minutes ago, I get the impression that these founding fathers, men who knew nothing about government or running a new country at the time, only that refused to allow themselves to be dictated to by Mother England and their strong disapproval of royalty and the privileged classes that that represented. Pretty well fudged their way through upset after disaster and many times even flirted dangerously close to having the country disintegrate. I guess that this reinforces my belief that there must have been a higher power protecting their magnificent efforts and guiding them along the way. When they created a monumental mistake, somehow circumstances and events brought them back to the best position to end up where they became the strong nation that we came to respect and admire, I think. Unfortunately, America seems to have again lost her way. When prayer has been banned from schools, abortion is not only allowed but protected by the Supreme Court and all the other evidences that America is leaving God out of their plans. I am reminded of Romans chapter 1, where Paul says that such attitude resulted in the past in God giving up on the human race. Yet he still loved us, as unworthy as we were, didn't he?
While the Americans were fighting Indians, arguing over whether to create a central bank and figuring out how to set up a new government system based on the important principle by the people, for the people, and of the people, many significant events were happening around the world. The French Revolution occurred. Thousands of innocents were subjected to the latest in public executions, the guillotine. Napoleon's conquest of much of the European world occurred. Britain continued to be subject to the king, but had several interesting challenges to the throne. Britain fought the French armada that had circumstances being slightly altered, that armada would have resulted in a French victory. English would not be our language, but perhaps French might have been. Instead, Waterloo saved the day and became the national hero at the Battle of Waterloo. At this time, Canada became a strong British colony with Quebec continuing their strong bond with France. The Louisiana Purchase, whereby a vast tract of land was purchased from France for three cents an acre and which became the greatest single land deal of the ages. This took place and this effectively doubled the size of the United States. This is only rivaled by the purchase of Manhattan Island from the Indians for some beads and novelties. The challenges of the new country were numerous. As I said early, this has been so far a fascinating book at many of the events that shaped the new experiment in democracy known as America. Perhaps I'll share more with you as I continue through this very interesting book. And now with this message for today, Here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning and greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last time on this broadcast, we asked and answered the question, what does Jesus think of anger? Today, we will ask and answer the question, what does Jesus think of adultery? Now, of course, our thesis for this series of message is that Jesus, as the Lord and Master of our lives as Christians, not only expects, but demands that we think and thus live out his thoughts on the issues of life that confront us day by day. In his great teaching on the Mount, Jesus states for us very clearly what he thinks about most of the major social and moral issues we face in today's society. Murder, adultery, divorce and remarriage, swearing, revenge, love. Jesus gives his position, his mind, on all of these matters in this fantastic exposition of the will of God on the Mount of Olivet. In doing so, he corrects the faulty interpretation of the law by the religious leaders of his day. How we need his ministry in that area today as well. It is sad to see how we have allowed the traditions of man to overrule and supersede the true teaching of the Word of God. When this is done, one can literally get away with murder. This is exactly what Jesus shows when he tells us what he thinks about murder. He says that the religious leader taught in his day 
that one only breaks the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, when one commits the act, that is, actually, literally, and physically. But Jesus taught that one commits the act in his or her heart and mind when he or she fosters, nurtures, and manifests anger toward another person, even through the use of abusive languages without even throwing a blow. He completely destroys the cliché that says, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Jesus says, words could actually land you in hell. That's what Jesus thinks of anger. It is as much a sin deserving of divine judgment as the act of murder itself. Anger, therefore, cannot and must not be entertained, condoned, or expressed toward another person by a true disciple of Jesus Christ. That's Jesus' standard of a true Christian. Much higher and much more radical than the traditional religious teaching of his day, and I dare say of our day as well. Jesus now tells us what he thinks of adultery in this passage, and he is just as radical as he was in his teaching concerning anger. Listen then to the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Quote, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. End of quote. Now again, Jesus sets out to correct the faulty interpretation of the law by the religious leaders of his day. With reference to the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, they taught that one was guilty of adultery only if he or she had committed the physical act. This was a very narrow and external interpretation of the law and ignored the clear teaching of the Ten Commandment. It's found in Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. End of quote. Now, you see, the Pharisees taught no physical act of adultery. Jesus says the true teaching is no mental, lustful thought of the act of adultery. They said no act. Jesus said no thought. Their standards focused on the external. His focused on the internal, the heart. Also, let it be clearly understood what physical adultery really is. It is the act of sexual intercourse by or with a married person other than his or her own spouse. The Jewish religious leaders taught that it was only the act with a married person. Jesus, as well as the law, teaches that adultery is an act conceived in the heart by a married person before it is cultivated in the bedroom or today in the motel room or the backseat of a car, or wherever the sinful act is consummated with someone other than one's spouse. Jesus says 
That's adultery. He says it is just as great a sin to look at a woman with the intention of contemplating her as a potential sexual partner as it is to physically have her as such. Now, of course, in Jesus' teaching, he applies this principle to men as well as women. Now, it is important to study Jesus' words very carefully, and that's what we are concerned about here as we preach the Word of God, the Word of Jesus Christ. He's not saying that to simply look at a woman is to lust after her, nor is he saying that one can avoid involuntary lustful thoughts. What he is saying is that a man or woman sins when he looks at another person of the opposite sex in order to lust after that person. And of course, this is true, as I said, of both male and female. It is an intentional, voluntary, decisive action carried out in the mind and heart. My friends, this is why pornography is a sin. It is done in most cases, simply to satisfy lustful desires. One of my former seminary professors quotes from Guy King and Martin Luther to illustrate this point. King wrote, quote, When on one occasion I asked a children's meeting, what is the difference between temptation and sin? One little boy replied, Please, sir, temptation is when you ask to do it, and sin is when you've done it, end of quote. That's a great answer. Martin Luther put it this way. We cannot prevent the birds from flying over our heads, but we can prevent them making nests on our head. End of quote. Now this comes like a bombshell to the culture of our day. A day when sex is exploited to sell toothpaste and toilet paper, candy bars and cars and everything else. It is extremely difficult not to fall into this particular sin. Movies and television deliberately appeal to the lusts of the eye. Outright pornography is not only offered in dark corners and dingy stores anymore, but also in swank theaters, in the living and bedrooms of everyone with a TV set. One cannot even go into a food store or bookstore without being literally bombarded with pictures and images of naked or near-naked men and women. We are virtually imprisoned in a world which excels in appealing to the lower lusts of men and women. The results are all around us, of course, to see. Unbridled immorality, increasing divorce, spousal abuse, child abuse, AIDS, rape, incest, and the list can go on and on and on. Perhaps this is why our Lord spoke so strongly on taking strong measures on dealing with this particular sin. Note his words in verse 29, quote, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Verse 30. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off. Now, these are very stern words, but are we to take them literally? Most would respond, no, of course not. While we are to take Jesus' words here seriously, we are not to take them literally. Let's study the passage a little bit more in detail before we give a final answer. First, it is not just our right eye or our right hand which causes us to fall into this particular sin. If we were to remove one eye, we would still be able to see with the other eye quite well. Likewise, it is not just the right arm that can be used to carry out a sinful act. All of our members can. And thus, it is not actually our members that cause us to sin. Rather, it is the heart. And of course, that cannot be readily cut out. 
We may be able to cut out a cancerous or infected mass from our bodies, but we certainly cannot do so with our heart. The intention of Jesus is to show us that our trouble with lust that leads to actual adultery is not with the members of our body, but it is with the heart. As someone has said, a fallacious excuse is met with a fallacious answer to show the falsity and absurdity of the excuse and point to the true cause of lust, and that is the human heart. End of quote. The point of this teaching is that we must deal quickly, decisively, and severely with an any and all temptations or provisions that may lead us to committing of the sin. This is a serious issue, Jesus is saying. It is no small matter. That's Jesus' point. Adultery has been the cause of countless divorces, heartaches, and ruined the lives of many children and adults alike. Homes, businesses, and even churches have been wrecked because of adultery. Traditional religious legalism condemns the outward symptom, but fails to deal with the source. Jesus' position, however, is clear and deciphered and remedial. We must take his words in these verses very seriously if we are to avoid falling into the pitfall of this heinous sin. We must be willing to take drastic steps to do so if necessary. Some may have to give up their well-paying jobs because of temptations at the office. Some may have to give up cable or even their TV and today even their computers to avoid making provisions for lustful behavior. Some may have to quit a club, an organization, or even a church ministry to avoid contact with an appealing, attractive, and available potential sexual partner. This is such a serious issue that Jesus even suggested that surgery may be necessary for some in order to satisfy the demands of the gospel. Listen carefully to his words in Matthew 19:12, the context in which he deals with the matter of divorce and remarriage. He says, quote, There are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now listen, my friends. It may not be often that a Christian would need to consider surgery to avoid sexual immorality. But based on the word of this passage, I would not dare to say that such a time could never come. That's the level of seriousness to which Jesus placed the necessity of avoiding judgments and temptations that may lead to adultery. In other words, this is a powerful illustration using hyperbole. Jesus is using the extreme in order to make a point. So then, what does Jesus think of adultery? He thinks that adultery, including intentional lustful thoughts, is so offensive to him and so destructive to all concerned that we need to be willing to undergo severe consequences to eradicate any necessary causes of adultery that would lead to adultery from our lives. This is all to say that sexual sin, especially by or with a married person, is no small matter with God, and neither should it be for those who name the name of Christ. We live in a culture that believes that shacking up is just something that everybody does and so it's okay with God. No, it is not. Jesus is teaching here, especially concerning his disciples, Christians, those who name the name of Christ. Adultery, shacking up is sin and it could lead to terrible and awful spiritual consequences. Let's heed the word of our master who says, 
thou shalt not commit adultery. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. The great commander's promise, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the in a moment Jesus Christ could come again I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound what a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again